Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, Lutherans absolutely seem to love paradox. All the burning questions that people, that drive people in many other Christian traditions nuts, we have learned to love the way that they are held in tension. One of the most beautiful things about being a Lutheran is the ability to answer, I don't know, and be okay with it. One of my professors used to say, Lutherans eat paradox for breakfast. Now, a paradox is not a contradiction. It's simply parallel to truths that are held in tension. They are both true. They often appear to oppose each other, but as a result of the mysterious nature of faith and what God has revealed in his word, both of them are simultaneously true. And we Reformation types love to use Latin, don't you know? St. Peter's folks, you might just be getting to know this about me, but I love Latin. And also I'm taking it in a course for the doctoral program at the seminary right now, so I'm kind of consumed with it. And I'm sorry if it bothers you, but here is a big Reformation phrase that we have used for 500 years to describe what life is like. Simul justus et peccator, at the same time righteous and sinful. Simultaneously sinner and saint. Two parallel truths held in tension. Because in Christ, you are 100% righteous. And in your old self, you are 100% sinful. It's not 50-50, you're 100% both. We love the tension between the two kingdoms, the two realms, as Luther described it. God rules the world through both of his hands, through the kingdom of grace, his right-hand kingdom, and the kingdom of the sword, the left-hand kingdom, the state. The kingdom of the law, which governs the temporal world and society, and the kingdom of the gospel, in which we are reconciled to God. We hold intention unlike no other, the teaching that the body and blood of Christ are present in, with, and under the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. No other group will allow this kind of paradox to stand. You see, Protestants will argue that it's just bread and wine and no body. No blood. Roman Catholics might argue that once the words are said by the priest, there's no bread and wine left, but it's been transformed into the body and blood of Christ only. Only the outward appearance remains. So one pastor used to joke that Lutherans were greedy enough to get all four. We're hungry enough that we get bread and wine and the body and blood of Christ because that's what Scripture says And we choose not to try explain away what Christ himself says using our own logic. There are also two kinds of righteousness. This key teaching of Lutheranism, this framework, was first explained by Luther in a sermon in 1519, 501 years ago. Getting this concept straight helps to make a whole lot of sense out of the endless questions about the relationship between faith and good works that seems to be the source of most of the fighting between (coughs) theological traditions. 
that's a dry cough. I'm not sick. Just <coughs> you can't get sick from your house anyway. Uh, once, excuse me, one moment. The contradiction or the seeming contradiction, which we would actually call paradox between faith and good works, is the source of fighting between so many theological traditions. Because the Bible makes two things absolutely clear. That we are saved by God's grace alone through faith, apart from works, and that Christ has called Christians to serve God by serving their neighbor with their good works. Both are true. It's a tough concept for us to wrestle with. Are good works necessary for salvation? Absolutely not. The best way that I've heard this described comes in what we call the two kinds of righteousness. There is passive righteousness and active righteousness. Passive righteousness, which is also called vertical righteousness or alien righteousness, not like you see on the History Channel at 2 o'clock in the morning, is the righteousness that comes directly to us by faith and entirely transforms our standing before God. It means that on account of Christ, God sees you as completely righteous, sinful, spotless, and perfect on account of Christ. Passive righteousness is the way that we describe the fact that everything Jesus did has been attributed to you as if you did it. His perfection is your perfection. His sinlessness is yours. His death and resurrection even have been accounted to you. In Romans chapter 5, St. Paul says, We hold that we are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Passive righteousness means that we are saved, we are forgiven, and that we are restored to a right relationship with God by His grace alone and received through faith in Christ. Our relationship with God, our standing before God, is granted to us by Him alone. Even in the book of Genesis, this is how it worked. Genesis says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. His obedience flowed naturally from his faith. And even our faith, just like Abraham's faith, <coughs> is the result of God's initiative in revealing himself to us by his word. He revealed himself to Abraham, to the prophets and the patriarchs, in the person of his son. And he sent the apostles to bear witness to this revealed truth. So this faith, says St. Paul, comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. That's Romans chapter 10. You have faith because someone preached to you. Because someone was sent. Says Luther, the whole root and origin of our salvation lies in God who sends. We are entirely passive in this process. We cannot save ourselves. The law is God's gift to us in that it shatters all of our illusions of self-righteousness. Shows us that no one is righteous on their own merits. Paul uses six Old Testament references in Romans, to demonstrate this teaching that is nothing new. And we can't do it on our own. 
Elsewhere, Paul says in Galatians that if justification, salvation, or any of this could be earned by works of the law, then Christ died for no reason. So even though the law is bad news for the old sinful self, the new self in Christ recognizes that it has been a gift of God to reveal just how deep our need is, to reveal just how much he has accomplished for our salvation. Luther writes more like this. When I acknowledge that I cannot be righteous before God, I begin to seek my righteousness from him. Righteousness was never meant to come from the law. The law was given to God's people after he saved them. Furthermore, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What do vines and branches do? They bear fruit right? We don't bear fruit apart from the vine. If you cut off a branch, it doesn't keep growing grapes. It dies. Our connection to Jesus is the only way we bear fruit, and by fruit, we mean simply service to our neighbor. We are the vehicles, the instruments by which God does all the work in blessing the world. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but with Jesus, He can do anything through us. This is the realm of what we call active righteousness. This kind of righteousness, which we could also call a horizontal righteousness or proper righteousness, this is how we serve our neighbor. Properly speaking, active righteousness is how God blesses our neighbor through us. Active righteousness flows directly from our passive righteousness. God in the gospel has transformed you into a whole new kind of person. This kind of person naturally wants to do good for others because that's who they've been created to be. God's love transforms us to love others. Christ's service to us empowers and equips us for lives of service. God's forgiveness of our sins enables us to truly forgive others. Righteousness can't come from the law, even active righteousness. Active righteousness is the result, the fruit, the outpouring of our relationship with Jesus that he has initiated because he loved, he came down, he died, he rose again, and he sent. As transformed, redeemed, and sent Christians, we too have a new relationship to the law in which we're no longer trying to earn forgiveness by doing what it demands, but by joyfully following it as the one who has been freed from its demands by Jesus. This was always the way that it should be. Now that you have been saved by God's grace alone, you are freed to live in a way that demonstrates God's love and mercy to the rest of the world. It was true at Mount Sinai after the exodus from Egypt, and it is true today. Our righteousness must necessarily come from God because we cannot find it in ourselves. Active righteousness is still God's doing, but we get the joy of participating. When it comes to salvation, we don't contribute anything. We are entirely passive. When it comes to serving our neighbor, we are active. We are empowered to creative and creatively and lovingly serve our neighbor in need. And if you haven't turned on the TV in a while, if you haven't looked around, <coughs> there are plenty of neighbors in need. 
There are so many at risk and so many vulnerable. Even sitting home on the couch and watching TV and keeping to yourself can be an act of service to your neighbor because God is the one who does the blessing through us. Both kinds of righteousness, passive righteousness by which we are made righteous by faith alone and active righteousness by which we serve our neighbor and God's power and strength, both of them come through God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did for you. Our salvation comes only from God. This is done to us, from outside of us, and depends on us for nothing whatsoever. It is pure gift and love to God from us. He saves us without any of our own worthiness or participation. And when that has happened, God transforms us for lives of service to our neighbor. You see, that's the thing. God doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need anything. Your neighbor, however, does need your good works. And by good works, I'm not just talking about mission trips and tithes and leading Bible studies or any of the kinds of good works that we associate with churchliness. When God is talking about good works, he's also talking about the ordinary things that you do on a daily basis as a Christian in your everyday vocation. A baker making the very best cakes or bread is doing good works. A mother waking up with their baby in the middle of the night to feed them and change their diaper is doing a good work. In fact, Luther once remarked that every single mother in in the land in his day Every single mother has a higher office than any bishop or pope because they are carrying out a most noble vocation. Cleaning toilets, cooking, vacuuming the floor, these are all good works because you bless your neighbor through your actions. The difference is that now as a Christian, you aren't trying to earn anything. You recognize that life and salvation are all gifts from God's gracious hand, and so you are empowered by God to put the needs of others before your own. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the summary of the law, says Jesus. And it is entirely impossible for us to do so if God does not first take the initiative to save us and transform us by his grace. Good works don't save you because they are the result of salvation, not the cause. Usually, the righteous don't even recognize that they've been doing good works. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about the end of time. If you've got a Bible handy, you can flip through it. He tells that the, the righteous that they gave him food, drink, and clothing. They ask, when did we do this? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. But the damned, on the other hand, boast of their works. They say, We prophesied in your name, cast out demons, etc. The righteous do good for others because that is who they are. The righteous serve God by serving their neighbor as the natural outpouring of their identity as the children of God. The righteous don't boast in their works. Their works, their active righteousness is second nature. A new nature whom we were created to be in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. The ways in which you bless your neighbor have been prepared for you by God beforehand, before the saving, the natural result of your saving. This is who you have been created to be in Christ. This is truly the good news, dear saints. It is not good advice. The gospel is not a how-to manual on how to save yourself. It is the story of how your God saved you only because of his great love for you. In the law, we see that our best will never be good enough to save us. And in so seeing, we are driven to the loving arms of our Savior. In the gospel, we see that our worst is never too much for Jesus to handle. He took it all upon himself. He died for us. He rose again. This is what St. Paul says, that our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. So great is our sin, much greater is our Savior. The more that we become aware of our own sinfulness, the more we recognize how much God has done for us in Christ and continues to do daily and richly forgiving all of our sins. You, dear saints, are righteous by God's grace alone through faith, passively in your standing before him and actively in the ways which you serve as his instruments of blessing to the world around you, beginning in your own home. You are holy, which means to have been set apart for God's use. You are righteous, which means that you have been declared to be in a proper standing with God and innocent of fault. Most importantly, in the water of holy baptism, you are declared to be his. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Continue with the prayer of the church. It's found in your worship folder. 